Welcome to the Drop the Mic podcast, where we'll dive into conversations with some of the music industry's most established professionals. Like all of our episodes, what you will hear today has been created and curated by Stanford students who are breaking their way into the music scene. I'm Jay LaBeouf, and I lead Stanford University's Music Industry Initiatives. Whether you're aspiring to launch your career in the music industry, are already a music industry pro, or just curious to learn more, we've got you covered. Today is the final episode of season one. If you've enjoyed getting a close look at all aspects of the music industry, please leave us a top rating in your favorite podcast app. For our final episode, you're in for an exclusive look into marketing and branding in the music industry. Hear discussions with Jesse Kulbroth, VP of Fan Engagement and Digital Marketing at Warner Records, John Romero, Head of Marketing at Vector Management, and Aaron Cooney, Marketing Director at Interscope Records, as we learn about the importance of designing and promoting an artist's brand. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get into the conversation. Hello, wonderful listeners. In this episode, we will be covering more on the topic specifically to marketing and branding. You will be hearing from Stanford students in discussion with industry professionals who work in this key component of the music industry. They'll be discussing everything from their own personal narratives, how they've managed marketing campaigns, and even how their jobs have had to adapt with the onset of COVID-19. I want to thank you again for listening. And quickly, just to prepare you in navigating the different voices you will hear, just know that questions being asked are from my team of Stanford students and that the wonderful responses are from our amazing marketing industry professionals. Let's get into the discussion. You're about to hear from Jesse Coolbroth, the Vice President of Fan Engagement and Digital Marketing at Warner Records. Okay, my first um, question for you mm-hmm. is, I'm curious to know just your background in the industry. Obviously, I've looked at your LinkedIn and um, it looks like you've sure. done some really exciting stuff, but that would be helpful context for us as we consider um, yeah, perspectives you have on this topic. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, uh, well, uh, I guess kind of got from email and LinkedIn. My name is Jesse Coolbroth. Yeah. Um, I am currently uh, the vice president of fan engagement and digital marketing at Warner Records, uh, which is previously Warner Brothers Records, but now it's Warner Records. And I guess I will start kind of from, I guess, the beginning career-wise of kind of how everything kind of laid out and then mm-hmm. the, what my current role is now. So I'm now 38 years old. I started at Warner Brothers Records at the time in Burbank, California uh, in 2005. I was part of a music industry studies program at uh, Cal State Northridge uh, here in LA. Mm -hmm. At the time, there wasn't that many music business programs. There might have been a couple course here there like UCLA and then Berkeley, of course, but it was kind of at the time one of the only music industry programs. So anyway, so I did my undergrad in music industry studies. And the last year to be able to graduate, you had to do, I forget what it was, a crazy amount of hours, like, I think like 300 hours or something, like an internship within the industry. And I was pretty lucky where um, I was able to actually do my internship at Warner Bros. Records at the time. Starting us off, my student team asked these professionals how they got started in their careers. This next interview is with John Romero, music marketing expert. Tell me a little bit about your personal journey in the marketing world. Yeah, so I, you know, always kind of knew that marketing was an angle for me, and that's really uh, where I needed to and wanted to kind of spend my time and my focus. So I started out when MySpace was just coming on. So I was at the right time, at the right place, and saw the opportunity for artists and saw what artists were doing there already and tried to bring that to the people that I was around. So at that time, I was interning honestly, at the same place I'm working today 
And I was the squeaky wheel talking about these great marketing opportunities that places like MySpace were bringing to the table as the internet became way more than MySpace and and YouTube. My marketing chops kind of uh, expanded as well um, because a lot of things transferred more over to the digital side of things. E-commerce became a huge part of an artist ecosystem and that was all pushed via digital. So again, I was at a great seat to really see all of these marketing initiatives that had been spread out across, you know, different places really come in and and be focused into the digital era. And so I was at the seat uh, really controlling that for a lot of artists. And so I had just a lot of experience, you know, trial by fire with all of these different opportunities that were coming because of the internet. Next, we'll hear from Marcus, the Vice President of Marketing at Reach Records. We can start off with how did you first get into the industry and like, what are the things that motivated you? I've always been about my inspirations from a very early age. I was uh, captured by hip hop. I, you know, cultivated my interest in hip hop and the music and the fashion um, and those things. And when I finally had an opportunity to go to college, you know, I would explain to my advisors before it became time to pick a major, you know, what I wanted to be and who I wanted to be, you know, and I would tell them I want to be Russell Simmons. I I didn't really grow up with, you know, parents or role models who were active in business and who could, you know, put those things into context for me. So all I really had was the language and the inspirations. And so I just maintained being about that. I didn't shy away from it. And so I got my degree in um, strategic communication, which is which is practice formally a journalism degree, but it it uh, gives you the discipline and the skills for PR, marketing, advertising, things like that. And so, you know, I kept I, I did it. I practiced it, you know, everywhere I could. And one day I had a friend who knew someone who owned a record label or the guys who own the current record label that I work with. And I was fortunate enough to get breakfast and I showed up, you know, really just talking my talk. Yeah. Um, just looking for inspiration and, and sharing my passion. And they offered me, they offered me an internship. Mm-hmm. And so I moved from, at the time I was living in Kansas. And, right. you know, I moved from Kansas to Atlanta yeah. on that offer as an intern. And I've been, I've been at the, com- the same company for the past six years you know and i went from an intern to being today the vice president of marketing wow it's amazing so i went to the university of miami i majored in music business and entertainment industries with a minor in marketing and throughout my college experience i really did my best to get as much professional experience as i could so i i worked for my school's record label i volunteered at like local festivals and that sort of thing and um i interned at an artist management company and then i was very very lucky for my last two years of college to be the sony music college marketing rep for Miami and just quick plug for that program. If there are any Sony or Warner or Universal college marketing rep positions open in your market, go for it. It's the best job you can possibly have at this point. Um, So I did that for my last two years of school and that sort of transitioned into I 
right after college, like the day after I graduated, I moved up to New York and did a summer program with Columbia Records in their digital marketing uh, department called the Big Red Program. Also a big plug for that program. It's a great opportunity to work at the label and get boots on the ground marketing experience with pretty awesome projects. As you heard, there's no perfect formula for successfully entering the industry. There's a lot of twists and turns and a lot of uncertainty, as there is with everything. But in this next section, let's listen in on what the lay of the land is right now. I wanted to ask you uh, as well, I mean, just for a broader question, like we're talking a lot about uh, marketing and the different channels and the different kind of ways you can do it. Why does marketing and branding matter in the music industry? That is a great question. Um, and really, marketing, I think actually the easiest way to, to say this is think about how many people in the world have musical talent. Think about how many local bands there are and local artists there are and bedroom DJs and people who are creating music and musically it's good. There are talented people in the world. Take that huge group now narrow it down to the people who actually want to make a living out of doing that. Cause a lot of people it's their creative outlet, but it's not what they want to do, you know, full-time professionally. Then take that group of people who want to do it full-time professionally weed out the ones who are willing to work for it, who have, you know, the, the hustle and the drive to actually put in the work and do it because it is so much work. Now take that pool and weed out the ones who understand the importance of resonating with their audience. Because that's really what marketing and branding is. You're thinking about how do you form an emotional connection with the people who also happen to like your music. And you do that by presenting yourself as someone who is tonally resonant with the audience that you as the audience member you look at this person and you somehow see yourself reflected in them maybe it's just the way that they carry themselves but maybe it's the way that they present themselves online maybe it's the way they present themselves on stage or the things they say the way that they communicate all of that is branding now, here's Aaron Cooney, the marketing director at Interscope Records. Why does marketing really matter in this industry? How did you guys think about the role of marketing and the importance of marketing in an artist's success? Sure, yeah. Well, I'll start with the logistics side of it, which is that typically at a label, the marketing role serves as the hub of the wheel coordinating all of the other departments at the label in essence they are like a product manager of sorts so they are the one that is kind of the lead on the project taking the music from the a and r department and then facilitating the communication throughout all of the other departments at the label to say okay this is these are our priorities. This is what we want to happen. And then those individuals will go and do their separate responsibility. Right now, you're currently at Reach Records, right? So how exactly would you explain your role as like the VP of marketing? Like what, what's like your day-to-day? -day? Yeah, so as the VP of marketing, I oversee our marketing and creative teams. 
So it's partly setting up rollouts for music products, how they're going to come into the marketplace and interact with, you know, with a succinct and clear brand and, and connect with the core audience that the label and the fans have developed. And as far as like, you know, leading the creative teams, I, you know, speak into creative directing things to make sure that the visual communication is as strong as the music mm-hmm. product. And so my teams are responsible for music videos, uh, graphic design, social media. Yeah. And we also have a lifestyle brand that is sort of the, the apparel extension of the music movement that we have in my team um, okay. oversees that as well. Is that 116? Is that the Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so maybe just to kick off, it would be great to know about what what your role was like at Interscope. Like, what were the major like responsibilities? Your role in in marketing? Yeah, sure. So I primarily was working with a roster of about ten to fifteen artists, overseeing the release and marketing of their music. Yeah, and yeah. what that typically entails is. On the front end, talking to A&R to decide which songs are going to be the ones that are released and in what format they're going to be released, whether it'll be a single or an EP or and kind of how that fits, fits into the larger scope of the artist's touring plan and kind of long-term five, 10-year plan. Yeah. And then what we would typically do after we have that set is put together a kind of a structure of what the rollout of the song is going to be and beef that up with a bunch of marketing content once we know when the release date is and kind of work back from there. Yeah, Uh, You talked about how you would identify KPIs of growth for the artist. mm -hmm. So in when going back to what you mentioned about coming up with the overall strategy for the artist, does that, what does that look like from a quantitative perspective? Like once you actually determine like, who is the artist? What is their proposition? Do you then set objectives in terms of like now with this in mind, like as we think about our marketing strategy, we want to grow these metrics by this amount or does that come into play late? Is that more of like a tracking thing, but not necessarily something that you, you know, aim to do upfront? Sure. Uh, so it's actually, I would say both. So we definitely set up KPIs of like, uh, okay, we, well, at least for us, we try to really focus on the engagement rates of like all the, like especially on social, when you can see all the different pieces of content uh, organically and also paid. So we also handle all the digital advertising and paid media. We can see all the different metrics of like between uh, the growth, but we focus a lot on engagement because as long as we have engaging content, we we hope that follower growth will increase. And what we do engage with is like if we have really engaging content and let's say follower growth isn't going as much as we would like, We'll do things on the paid media side to take find that like really engaging content and boost it to different audiences. And I could get super technical on it, but basically like retargeting fans and kind of like kind of just being really tactical about how we're growing um, a fan base based on content. But so overall, I would say the like top line metrics we'll usually set up is uh, engagement across all platforms and then also on advertising, uh, follower growth. Things like there's certain artists that we have their uh, their merch or their touring or certain e-commerce, so there'll be certain e-commerce targets of like 
large drop of like what our projections and that would be. We have a commercial uh, revenue team that will set up like streaming goals and like follower goals on Spotify and Apple Music. So for Apple would be like an ad or a pre-ad, Spotify would be a pre-save or a follow, um, and then also overall stream counts. Uh, there'll be forecasts for actual like physical physical sales, and there's not that many record shops anymore, but let's say Amazon or D2C. So if we have deluxe packages and, and vinyl and things like that, there'll be projections there. So, so we kind of piece together like a general idea of that, of what we would like to accomplish. But then as we go on, we do put together like sort of even daily run-throughs of like every day I kind of go through the list of the artists that I work with directly and like their engagement rates and followers, video views, streams. And thankfully I have a couple dashboards help piece together because there's so much going on all the time. And then once we get into the advertising, we tend to have benchmarks around like click-through rates, cost per views, cost per engagement. So anything that we have a paid metric, uh, we try to track those uh, in a pretty nitty-gritty kind of way too. To what extent is marketing like a, a very like local slash regional function mm -hmm. versus global? Because like, do you, is it important for like a artist to have marketing support in all different geographies so that the people working for them on marketing, like understand the local audience? Is that how it works? Like, is, is it yeah. typically a very local type function? Yeah. Bit of both. And I guess it depends on the artist and which country as well so so basically how we're structured in that regard and then i can get into kind of how it's prioritized yeah so we have warner music group overall and that includes every label every local uh, affiliate office so an affiliate would be like warner music germany warner music france and then each territory will sign their own domestic repertoire or artists okay um so for example so actually I'm just looking at email. So basically, even today, we're working on a couple artists named Aligati, some BB Rexa releases. So those artists are signed directly to us at Warner Records in the US. Yeah. But we also work international repertoire. So I, I work with, uh, with Dua Lipa. So she's signed to the UK office, but I work with yeah. repertoire here in the US. So basically, okay, so you have Warner Music Group, uh, you have each territory that has domestic repertoire and international repertoire. Yeah. And then kind of, and then it also trickles down where we have like regional offices and then also a global office in London and to a certain extent, New York, but each region. So there's a LATAM office based out of Miami that looks all over LATAM. There is an office in Hong Kong that looks over all of Asia, for example. Yeah. So you kind of have these different layers and I think to me, it's definitely important to have all those layers. Like, you need to have the local teams to work the to work the artists to basically make sure that locally you're getting either some sort of radio, you're making sure that your stream counts are, are being looked after or built up, that you have local social support. Like, we even do things like translations or make sure that certain artists have different languages and certain nuances that, that can be applied to in each territory as well. Yeah. So definitely at a local level, that's when it starts to really build. But then the regional office will then basically say, okay, we're seeing these trends with certain artists or songs across multiple territories in the region. So they will then prioritize some of those releases to every territory in that region. Okay. So then that helps build the artists even more. And then by the time it gets up to like a global marketing department level, they'll identify like 
list of the, the priorities like around the world, not just from an artist's point of view, but also songs. But then also put in, we have different tiers of things like uh, like a song of the week or uh, a surging track, like all these different sort of programs to make sure that if one of our artists is starting to really take off around the world and also at the at their local levels, yeah. that there are programs in place to build them up as much as as much as possible across all these different territories. And then how does the budget um, get decided for uh, an artist? Like, sure. I guess like an artist is kind of like a, a company itself, right? So it's just like how a company <laughs> yeah. might decide what budget gets approved for an artist. It, I was wondering how that happens at your firm and especially when the artist is new and maybe you're kind of, you know, betting on their success. How do you determine how much money they get? We look at all the different areas that kind of need to come together. So, uh, well, we basically do our budgets quarterly. And um, so it definitely depends on the level of the artist, where they're at. The first thing we kind of look at is, okay, what are the marketing goals? Is it just social? Are we trying to get them also up to a level where they can go tour and on what tour, what size tours? Yeah. Something where um, we can already see streaming going up and we need to double down on streaming and advertising and things like that. Yeah. So it kind of depends on the goals we set out, but then also we kind of do it in real time as well. Like if, if there's something that comes up that we're like, oh wow, okay, the song is popping off, but we already did our budgets like a month prior. Yeah. We can still put in different money into different areas. You talked about, you know, obviously the huge role that marketing plays. What, to what extent does the artist, him or herself, actually influence like the marketing like whether it's the channels or like the the content itself and things like that to a very large extent okay uh, yeah i mean we we operated uh, on my team at interscope we operated with the understanding that the artist was the one creating the vision and we were just the well, the ones making it happen and bringing it to life in this next section, my student team hears from our professionals on marketing campaign techniques, strategies, and even mistakes. Could you speak a little bit about like any like any of the biggest or just mistakes in general that people make with marketing and branding? They're just common mistakes that artists make. I you know, I think that one of the common mistakes that artists make are not listening to themselves. Um, again, we're here because these artists are, are, are artists. They're able to build songs and these, these things that connect people in so many different ways. And we're all here because of them. And it's, it really takes an artist being at the center of every marketing plan to really be effective. So, you know, I think that a lot of artists look to other people to give them what they should do when they really just need to talk about what it means to them. And then hopefully the people around them can can dive in and grab onto things there. How much do you work with the artist or like how much do like the artists have to work with you? Like I'm an artist and like, you know, I have a friend that wants to design my album art. Would 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 you be the one just to like approve it or would you be the one to be like, okay, I'm gonna find you the designer to make your album art or like direct your music video like to what extent is are like you and artists on your label working together on day -to -day? i mean i would say all of the above it really you know some artists come to us with a friend that they want to design their project and so mm -hmm. that's the case sometimes you have an artist who has a really really strong vision for themselves and 
because of that conviction, they are able to really set the tone and they say, this is what I'm trying to do. And the people around them will facilitate that and help, you know, they'll either provide artistic partners or just provide money or provide the space. Like it's very artist driven. A lot of times though, you'll have an artist who doesn't have a strong persona that they're putting on. Like maybe they're just a normal ass person just trying to make music and people are into it. And when that's the case, a lot of the branding and the marketing comes from their management team. And if they have one, their label. So with artist management, you're often in a position to think about the artist as a whole. And you have to look a lot like, you know, what is the artist interested in? But also, obviously, Warner Records has its own business objectives. How do you balance like those two? Have you ever been in a situation where the artist wants something, but it's not maybe they don't understand like the economics of it all and, and you're, or like, I don't know if necessarily you and your role, but like someone working with the artist, maybe yep. the artist manager is like, no, like we should do it this way. Like how Happen common are those conflicts and like, how do those get yeah. resolved? Um, happens all the time. So it's, um, <laughs> yeah. I, and I guess what kind of you, not even phrase it as like conflicts, but I guess it's, it's a natural thing between like having an artist or creative and then having the business side at some point yeah. they're, can be a rub of like which direction something should go. Can you talk more about uh, what kinds of marketing activations you would actually do? And like, how does that depend on the artist itself and the genre of their music? Um, mm -hmm. Like what types of channels would you actually look at? Yeah, so it definitely is a very fluid world now and does change a lot with each artist. But I would say that the, the activations that we would typically always do would involve the music streaming services. So we'd go to Spotify and Apple and try to figure out what their priorities were, what playlists they were trying to slot songs into. And depending on the size of the artist, we could do a campaign with them or buy different types of ad space. Right. For example, if it in the case of an Avicii or a DJ Snake, yeah. we could go to them and try to get certain playlist placements or get their uh, their artist photo up on a banner ad or something like that. Yeah. And then there was a lot in the digital media space so everything from instagram to facebook to it was musically at the time but what is now TikTok, yeah um, and snapchat working with their marketing teams to come up with some sort of campaign whether i'll give you an example in the case of avici we had snapchat was launching a new feature i think it was the ar avatar at the time yeah and to coincide with the launch yeah we they created a personalized set of characters for Avicii that went along with the song. I think it was without you at the time. And so yeah. actually the first place that the song was heard was on a Snapchat filter. If someone scrolled to it and, and recorded something, it would have a video of a little person dancing and the song playing. And that was the first place that people could hear a preview of the song. When you think about all of the different channels of marketing, like whether it's all the music streaming services, whether it's Instagram, whether it's, you know, radio, how do you prioritize like which ones to use and 
how important is it to canvas multiple different channels? Like, like I know it sounds like you, you know, you would make sure that you're really pushing the artist on all the different channels. But if you know that their de their target demographic is like this one type of person that is like on Instagram and Spotify, like what is the rationale for making sure, sure. that you have broad reach? Sure, uh, it's actually kind of a big question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know there's a multiple multiple questions in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say this. I think usually when we we start to talk to an artist about what they are interested in doing, what their goals are, then what our business and also creative goals are, we tend to try to identify like a couple of the key paths to go down that makes sense for an artist. So you're totally right in terms of like, let's say it's either a demographic thing or, or, or whatever where an artist fits better in a certain lane. We try to do like definitely on the Spotify front and also like general social will probably be the first two points of call to try to grow an artist for us. Yeah. After that, it's also like, like you mentioned, radio is a totally different beast and it's extremely expensive uh, and time consuming to take a, a song to radio. Okay. So for that, you definitely need certain metrics in place to be like, okay, it makes sense to take a song to radio. On the, on the streaming front, same thing where we can see, we have some songs artists that just pop off on, on streaming services where we then have to kind of go back and put together a marketing or a social plan. But it can be the other way around too, where we could have a new artist that we're like, we're really focused on getting streams and the stream counts are there. So we have to do everything we can on the advertising side uh, and social side to help try to push that. Reach Records has like signed like a lot of people like in the last a couple of years. And how would you say your marketing strategy changes for like some, like a completely new artist, not completely new, but relatively new artists versus like a relatively established artist. Cause you guys have had like a mix of people like from, from everywhere. So. Yeah, I think for the relatively new artists, just, you know, speaking general, we try to grow after the low hanging fruit to introduce them to people who trust our brand. Mm -hmm. uh, so we definitely bring them out in front of the brand. We try to create those pathways of association, whether that's serving digital targeting, digital ads against our current roster, mm -hmm. whether that's trying to create tour alignments, whether that's using our merchandise platform. Mm. We first try to start there and kind of run them through the trusted pathways so that they can benefit from the trust that we've built and that our artists have built. And then from there, it's really about identifying the opportunities that come to them as unique artists. And so we try to find those special things about them as artists that we can tap into and that we can highlight so that they can distinguish themselves from the roster and in the marketplace. From like your experience in industry, what would be like the difference between marketing from an independent artist and like on a label? Like, would you say it's different or would you say it's like, I don't know, how would you? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think, I think both marketing for an independent artist and for a label, both scenarios, you want to try to achieve the same thing. Yeah. You know, you want to try to make the best product and get it in front of as many people as possible. I think the opportunity that an independent artist has is speed and control. So yeah. an independent artist doesn't have, they don't have the checks and balances Mm -hmm. You know, they don't have the, they don't, they're not 
They don't have to engage a mechanism that needs time to move and mm-hmm. respond and react to things that might be happening in real place and yeah. are in real time. And so I think that is, is an advantage that uh, independent artists and artists who are with independent labels, yeah. I think that is, that is one advantage that they have. However, with a major label, you know, you have resources. You might, you have fund, you have access to funding through your partners. Yeah. You have access to experienced executives who have relationships and have seen things and can sort of predict, you know, mm-hmm. where, what, the, what the market may or may not do. And so I think the differences really lie in the strengths and opportunities of both situations. Yeah. How, you know, but at the same time, they're both, they're both trying to accomplish the same thing. Yeah. With, with, different strengths weaknesses, and opportunities can you give an example of like a really successful marketing campaign that was perhaps like out of the ordinary from ones you would typically do or one where you saw results that you weren't expecting one of the most successful marketing campaigns that i worked on was for youngblood we when we signed him he had I think 2,000 or 5,000 Instagram followers. Yeah. And within a year or two, he was up to, uh, up in the millions. Wow. And that was by far one of the most successful marketing campaigns for a number of reasons. Largely as a result of what I said before, he as an artist was so incredible in terms of the ideas that he had and the vision that he had. And so that made it really easy. And we were just the ones kind of bringing that to life, but it started from him having a very clear vision of what, what audience he wanted to reach out to the message he had, the creative that he wanted to make around each song. And we really leaned into his desire to speak to kids, his age, via Instagram. And so the strategy from a marketing perspective was to be consistently putting out content on Instagram, having him responding to people, doing Instagram live, engaging with audience members and really building an emotional connection with them. And then we put out a structured series of EPs to feel like there was a constant flow of music. They all had a creative element to them either as a short form video or a bigger music video. And then we lined up touring for him in markets that we knew he would have an audience and where we could slowly build and create these moments where it really felt like there was a, uh, an excitement and an audience building around him. And then as we saw that response, from the streaming side or from his Instagram data, we would then build out a more robust tour plan as he started picking up momentum. And Could you just tell me about like a general like marketing campaign, what that looks like, what kind of tools you use? 
Yeah, I mean, I, one of the ones I really enjoyed working on recently was this Kesha release where we uh, really employed a bunch of different uh, channels around her release, one being um, this new technology called Community, which is a text-based um, application that we leveraged and we put a phone number in her teaser video and then we put a phone number in her main video and we were leaving different messages for fans through this and to kind of really kick off this campaign. We did that really well and that was the launch of it. Then we pulled off the curtain and really kind of rolled into a lot of content and a lot of videos for her that really just accentuated what she was already doing. It's about releasing singles and seeing what fans are reacting to and then moving on and then making every song is a single to some fans. Every song on an album and an artist, some fan likes number nine way more than like eight. And then the next fan likes 10 and can't turn it off. So how do you make a single for every song? And I think that's what we're looking at doing. And I think that's what we were doing with Kesha on this release. We were, we were kind of making every song have its own video. And that's you know, just kind of a must now. Every song almost needs its own visual statement. Does it need to be an official video with an artist in it? Or can it just be a dramatic, dramatic image that's just really captivating? Um, but it's really about, you know, kind of putting all of those things together and rolling through. So I think that's one that, you know, we had a real good time with. We involved a bunch of different things that we, you know, that were that are kind of new on the on the horizons. Community is a new technology. And fans really enjoyed that 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 text community. And then we kind of had some fun games with it. We made it almost like a 1-800 number to call and stuff like that. So that was a really fun um, project to, 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 to be on and to be helping with and kind of brainstorm around that. Awesome. That sounds really cool. And it kind of reminds me of this one, a basketball player, Trey Young, gave his phone number out to fans. He was probably using community, like literally that oh. there's an app, there's a couple of apps out there that do that. And it's a great way for fans to be able to communicate, but it's a great channel for people who have a fan base because everybody checks their text messages. So if you can figure out how to get in that text message, uh, the cycle and get in front of those people on somewhat of a regular basis, you're going to get a huge open rate rather than your Facebook reach, which is so diminished. Your email, email reach is so diminished. A text message is almost the most perfect outreach you can get. In this next section, our industry professionals will be discussing a little bit of how COVID-19 has impacted their own lives and how it has impacted the industry as a whole. You know, how does marketing and branding change as a career kind of progresses? What do you yeah. do to stay relevant? That is, that's, there's two sides to that, I think. And one side is kind of like your Lady Gaga, where you're constantly reinventing yourself and you're constantly diversifying. So if we stick with this example for a minute, she started as a recording and performing artist of music. She had her brand. She had her medium. That's what she did. She had high production value music videos with a lot of dancing and crazy costumes. The crazy costumes were also what she wore in all of her public appearances. She would be like getting out of her car to go to the airport and she'd be wearing those psychotic Alexander McQueen shoes. Like <laughs> that is who she was, you know? But that at the same time is when she started to do things in film and TV and sort of letting this other side of her career flourish while she was taking 
what from the mainstream point of view is more of a risky musical move. You know, the same people who were going to Lady Gaga concerts for the fame and Alexander McQueen shoes weren't necessarily going to be into the Tony Bennett. She came in with her record Joanne and that was more of her um, peeling back the layers, getting more authentic with it. But if you remember this branding move of hers, I was not so into, but this is where she was wearing like pink sparkly cowboy hats and that kind of shit, if I recall correctly. Yep. And yeah. And if you think about this, each one of these chapters for her had a look and feel which is like sort of the branding yeah. term that you use. It had a look and feel. You can look at any picture of her and know what period she was in because she's so consistent with her branding. So yeah. jump in a totally different direction really quick and think about an artist who's been around for forever, who has been super consistent. And the one that's popping into my head is Dolly Parton. So we're going to go with that. Yeah. And Dolly Parton has been incredibly prolific but she's been in the same more or less core audience for, and I know less about Dolly Parton, so excuse me to Dolly Parton experts in the world, but when I see a picture of Dolly Parton from 30, 40 years ago, and I see a picture of Dolly Parton now, you sense that she's had a fairly consistent visual and sort of tonal brand throughout this whole time. She's always presented very polished. She's always, you know, you can look at her and you can tell that she sort of comes from this like, uh, uh, like blue collar grounded in country, very down to earth sort of presentation. She's, she's extraordinarily prolific and successful, but her core brand has been extremely consistent. And that has, to my knowledge, always resonated with this core fan base that's been consistent for decades, you know? So there are ways to go through these evolutions and to reinvent yourself, a la Lady Gaga. And I think that's mm -hmm. maybe what we can say is more of a dolly yeah. versus the Gaga, which is like, on April 25th, we are going to change everything to look like this and feel like this and to resonate in this way because we're making a bold turn and we're not looking back. What are some of the like big mistakes you see people making with branding or marketing for their yeah. kind of image? That's That's an important thing to think about, especially as you're establishing your brand as an artist. And I think one of the simple mistakes, but that actually I think is pretty detrimental, is trying to be everything. And you see it a lot on social media. If you think about, and I encourage you to, to do this, if you look at different artists' Instagrams, you can really see what kind of branding choices are either being made or not made. When you look at the Instagram, you can really quickly see, okay, are these pictures that are just being taken like throughout the artist's day? Are these pictures that are being heavily edited? Are these pictures that are probably just coming from the label or the management because they're all like press shots? Like you can really start yeah. to get a sense of the, the brand by looking at this. And if you're looking at an artist's Instagram and it's all over the place, it's like, okay, I don't, I don't know who this person is. I don't know, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this artist. 
How would you say this whole the COVID nineteen pandemic has affected the way in which you guys work and and marketing and music as a whole? Yeah, I mean, COVID obviously is affecting everybody, and the music industry is definitely you know getting getting affected directly. You know, a main driver to the industry's bottom dollar is the live side. So that's obviously, you know, not going to happen right now. And so it is a pivot to look at what else an artist can do to keep their brand in the forefront of people. We were already going to more content, more stripped down acoustic performance is going to be better than a big, you know, big live stream, big production. We were already going down that road. It's just accelerated this. They're seeing, oh, okay, I, I have time to, to, to focus on this. So, you know, I think that that's what COVID is doing it's a catalyst to where a lot of this stuff was already happening the video game world the travis scott thing you know that i'm sure that was in the works already but because of where it landed it made the bigger splash and it was really just ground shattering to the industry because that is where things are going before it might have just been well that's a video game but now that's an opportunity that that they wouldn't have necessarily saw the value before what the industry really needs is help from fans and organizations and government and anybody who has money, which is, you know, some people have a lot of it, to help keep these institutions alive. Because once things reopen, once the world reopens, if these venues have died, the artists have nowhere to go, you know, like they'll, they'll want to come play for their fans, but they have nowhere to go. So as you're supporting the artists in these times, you know, attending their virtual shows and making donations and that sort of thing, think about how you can also help keep your local venues alive. Because if you are a lover of live music, there's a really real possibility here that live music is going to temporarily kind of go extinct after all of this, while these venues try to get um, back on their feet. So that would be my soapbox for this experience is really think about the spaces to appreciate live music and live art because they are in big danger right now. Yeah. This is the last section of our podcast. And in this last little bit, the professionals shared with us some final words and some advice. In closing, um, is there anything else that you think is important for just like us to know about the marketing world and, yeah, and music. You know, I, I, because this is a little more college based, I do think that college students, as they're looking to get in the industry, should be very open to all of the avenues of of, of entertainment and, and and artist creativity. Because I think that a lot of people um, have a couple ideas in their head of jobs, and they're not necessarily open to the wide plethora of opportunities that are out there. Is it a video editing that you like? Is it running books, you know, accounting for an artist and just, okay, you're more of a numbers person, there's a place for you in, in the industry. So again, I think that it's about being open to knowing that it's not just marketing, it's not just A&R, Label. There's so many avenues, and even in marketing, there's you know ad specialists, there's content specialists, there's you know th- there's optimization, you know there's a, there's data analysts. Like there's so many different ways to be a part of that marketing sphere that you know it, it, not everybody's this idea person that's going to come up with this great marketing plan every week. Some people need to help execute that. There's just so many different ways to be creative or be a part of that game that don't necessarily limit yourself in any. Thing. You can kind of be open to where the path leads you 
stick on your straight and narrow, but be open to where that straight and narrow could open up to. Oh, that's like one quick question to end us off. What would you say is like one like thing or like project or like thing coming up that you're most excited about coming out? It doesn't have to be like music related or anything, just like things in general that like you're excited about. Yeah, I am. I'm currently excited about, I'm currently excited about music. Um, You know, myself, I just bought a mixer for myself to to experiment with music Mm. myself. And I am excited about how accessible the tools are. And so I, I just love seeing new artists pop up. And I love seeing individuals like myself who may not be building themselves as artists, right. but, still, but able to still, you know, develop a platform mm. and practice art using, yeah. you know, using music and some of the tools that we have available. So I guess I'm just really excited about that, you know? Yeah, yeah. definitely going to be like, definitely we all need like something to do now. Like now they're all like locked in like most of the time. And I feel like uh, a lot of musicians like aren't upset about, too upset about being locked in because like they're usually yeah. like locked in the studio anyways the so, opportunity to create yeah all right thank you so much for um taking time out of your day this marks the end of the episode and i want to thank you on behalf of my entire team for letting us share with you in this knowledge i hope it was beneficial in some shape or form and that you learned something about the marketing industry this is ty anthony signing off That concludes today's episode of our podcast, Drop the Mic, Music Industry Conversations. Thank you to all of our guests for spending their time with us and sharing their stories about their experiences with marketing and branding in the music business. We'd also like to thank Tony Rodriguez for composing this season's theme music. We're the students that helped put this season together. To hear all of our episodes, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stay up to date with everything we're working on, including a playlist that features all our musical guests from season one, and our social media accounts where we post sneak peeks of what's to come, check out our website at dropthemiccast.com. This has been Drop the Mic. Thanks again for tuning in. This was the last episode of season one, but look out for a special bonus episode in the coming weeks.